0: If you would, for just a moment, stand with me in Proverbs chapter 3. We're going to look at two verses, verses 3 and 4. And so the Bible says in uh, Proverbs chapter 3, verse 3, "...let not mercy and truth forsake thee. Bind them about thy neck, write them upon the table of thine heart. So shalt thou find favor and good understanding in the sight of God and man." You may be seated. Uh, basic principles for Christian living, Uh, what this is just designed to do is to help us take Bible principles and to connect them to our daily life. A lot of times we read the scriptures and I think there's a disconnect uh, between the Word of God and how we live our lives. And so I want to challenge you to be able to take some of these on on our fifth principle here. And uh, we started out and uh, we talked about how the Bible is very practical. It's a book written by uh, you written by men that God used to write uh, the Word of God. The Holy Ghost uh, worked in their lives, and uh, God used them in a great way to pen His Word. And one of the first subject matters we talked about was transformation. And so we talked about, according to Romans 12, 2, the importance of being transformed. Uh, we talked about the subject of being a forgiving person, and forgiveness ought to be the part of a life of a Christian. And we talked about preparation, and we talked about out of the Proverbs The importance of having our hearts prepared and having a teachable spirit when you come to church, and uh, just having some basic principles like that in our life. We talked about the principle of regeneration that we're a new creature and old things are passed away, and so how we're to live our lives. And tonight, uh, I want us to look at uh, how to uh, maintain or stay in God's favor. And God provides us uh, with a wonderful relationship. And uh, that relationship, we can stay in favor with Him in the sight of God and the sight of man if we are willing to do something. And you look at this and you say, are there conditions in the Bible? Well, yes, there are. And you look at verse 3 and it says, let not mercy and truth forsake thee. So He tells us something. And then He says, bind them about thy neck. And then He tells us, write them upon the table of thine heart. And here's the reason why we would do that. Here's the purpose behind it. So that, so shalt thou find favor and good understanding in the sight of God and man. Two things that God told us that ought to be part of our character as believers in Christ. We ought to be able to show mercy and we ought to be involved in truth. And so, not to forsake them. And so, God gives us uh, the steps to take. And uh, what I want you to think about as we go through this tonight, uh, are you in favor with the Lord? Are you in favor with the Lord? You say, well, I'm saved. Well, it goes beyond just salvation. Are you walking in God's favor? Are you pleasing Him with your life? And so I want to challenge you tonight. To please the Lord, we must walk in mercy and truth. And then to receive that favor from God, we must walk in mercy and truth. And so I have some slides for you tonight. I gave you a hand out there. Hopefully you've got a pen or a pencil Uh, that you can fill these in with. But I want you to take these with you. I want to challenge you to look at the first four principles and to go back over them or go back online and listen to the messages again and to allow God to use these in your life. So he tells us in this verse, let not mercy and truth forsake thee. And so mercy, this is in this terms, and in the Hebrew, he's talking about an unfailing, loyal, devoted love and kindness toward God and toward others. And you say, when he says mercy, don't let mercy forsake thee, notice he's not talking about God's mercy forsaking you, but us forsaking mercy. And he's saying that loyalty, that unfailing love, that kindness that we have to have toward God and toward others, we do not want to allow this to go away from us. And we're given a truth about the character trait of God. And so the uh, message I have for you tonight is God's favor, and it's here in Proverbs, principle number five, and what it is, is mercy and truth. And so your first uh, point there is mercy, that unfailing, loyal, devoted love and kindness. And so we're given a truth about the character trait as a believer that we not let it fall away from us. And so when he says, don't forsake it, he's saying, don't let it get away from you. And, and one of the things that can happen to us as we grow in years or uh, maybe some things happen to us in our lives... We can get to the place where we show less and less mercy toward other people, yet God doesn't do that to us or toward us, and yet He's challenging us to not let this fall away from us. And I think about it, at times we can easily let go of mercy, and yet the desire of God and the principle for man or woman is, as a child of God, that we ought to have this as a major attribute. And that's your uh, letter B there. It ought to be a major attribute in our life. And so when I tell you this, He tells us in Matthew 5, 7, and so... I'm connecting for you the Old Testament and the New Testament. When he tells us in this passage that let not mercy uh, forsake thee, he's telling us don't let it get away from you. And he tells us in the New Testament this, Blessed are the merciful. So happy are the people that are merciful. For they shall obtain mercy. So if we're looking for mercy from others, what should we show to them? What kind of a spirit should we have about us? So a principle for Christians is is we ought to show mercy to other people. And so God desires for us to do that. In Matthew 23, 23, listen to what he said to the scribes about this. He said unto the scribes at one point, he said, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees. He called them hypocrites. He said, You're a bunch of actors and actresses. That's what he meant when he said hypocrites. And he said, You hypocrites, for ye pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin, and have omitted... Now listen to what he calls this, weightier matters. That's your letter C there. He talks about weightier matters. And he said, you let off the weightier matters. You've omitted, you've uh, let them go. The weightier matters is the law. What does he talk about? Well, he says judgment, and he says mercy. Mercy is a weightier matter than even giving your tithes and offerings. Mercy is a weightier matter than giving your tithes and your offerings. And he said, you know, you, you got this area correct, but you know, you got this area wrong. <laughs> and he called him a bunch of hypocrites because he said, you know, you're trying to do these things outwardly, but here you're missing some of these things that are more important. And he, and he gets on him about it, and he said, you, you've omitted the weightier matters of the law, judgment, mercy, faith. These ought ye have, to done, have done and not leave off the other undone. He said, I'm not telling you to let the others go, but I'm certainly telling you that you ought to be doing these. And so we miss it sometimes as believers. And so what does it mean to be merciful? What does it mean to show mercy? What does it mean to not forsake it? And so God teaches us something about this being a weightier matter. He tells us this, it's a more burdensome matter of the heart to carry. And that's what he means. He said this is a more burdensome matter of the heart to carry. When he talks about a weightier matter, you see, it's easy sometimes to put an envelope in a plate than it is to show mercy to a person who needs it. And God's saying we ought to show mercy to others. We ought to show that love and that kindness and that loyalty of love, both to God and to others. And when we show it to others, we're showing it to God. And so when we give mercy, God tells us this is exactly what we're doing. Let me give you a verse in 1 Timothy 1, 15 and 16. He said, This is a faithful saying, and worthy of all acceptation, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, Here's Paul talking of whom I am chief. He said I'm the biggest of them all. Now watch this. Howbeit for this cause I obtained mercy. God showed mercy to him. Now here's his challenge: that in me first Jesus Christ might show forth all long suffering for a pattern to them which should hereafter believe on him to life everlasting. And it says that Christ might show forth all long suffering. Part of mercy. Is having that kind of patience, that kind of spirit toward others. When people first get saved, sometimes they don't change as quickly as we'd like them to. Amen? And you look at them and you think to yourself, Boy, I sure wish they would catch up here a little bit, uh, or that they would get this. But we show mercy. We keep telling them principles. We keep telling them truths. We keep teaching them. It's like a child. And, And you think about a new convert. It's like a baby, isn't it? And you're trying to teach them. And so you're giving them those first things that they need to do, some of those first principles, some of those first oracles of God that it speaks of. And so this weightier matter, it's more of a burdensome matter of the heart to carry around, but God says that it's our responsibility to do this. This is a matter of the heart, and mercy is to be a part of our character as a Christian, for the Lord demonstrated His mercy toward us, and Paul clearly says that. He said, I was the chiefest of sinners, and yet I obtained mercy. And think about ourselves even in our sins, how God demonstrates his mercy toward us a lot. And so why should we not then in turn do the same for others also? And so we ought to do the same for them. So he says this. He said uh, that in this passage, let not mercy forsake thee. But he also says, let not truth forsake thee as well. And uh, he tells us, let not truth forsake us. Now, truth is that idea Here in letter E, that trustworthiness, what conforms to reality. Now I wrote a little bit more than what I gave you there because uh, as I was looking into this, it has this idea: what conforms to reality, in uh, in contrast to what is false. Amen. How many of you know? Whenever you're watching television, I was sitting in Baltimore. We were eating breakfast together, and for whatever reason, every TV had CNN on it, and so I had to sit there and I would listen to their perspective on things all the time. Now. I do want to hear the other side sometimes because I just want to see how wrong they are. No, I just I want to listen to see what they have to say. And so I listen to this stuff and, and you clearly hear false statements being made with no backing evidence, no, no information to back up what they're saying. They're just making these broad, sweeping statements. And so there's sometimes that idea of a false narrative. I mean, I don't know where they're getting their ideas from, but they're certainly not based in facts. And so in this idea where he said, let not truth or trustworthiness get away from us or slip away from us, it indicates what conforms to reality in contrast to what's false. Now listen to this. Specifically referring to heavenly scrolls detailing future things. I got to thinking about that for just a moment. I said, wait a minute. What does the Bible tell us about truth? Jesus said, I am the way, the truth. Don't let that slip away from you. Don't let truth slip away from you. He not only said, I am the way and the truth, he said, sanctify them through thy word. Thy word is what? Truth. And I began to think about how he said, don't forsake truth. Don't forsake mercy. Don't forsake truth. And so when we see this, Uh, At first glance, sometimes we can just have an oversight in our reading when we do the Scripture. Sometimes we just kind of read over things, and we miss the fact that maybe this even entails some things that are yet future. Because he said, let not mercy and truth forsake thee. And he tells us to bind them around our neck. Therefore, I think it can be concluded, and you have this in your notes there, when he says this, forsake, to leave, abandon, reject, neglect, or desert. And so the idea is this. He said, do not do this with truth. And so if Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes unto the Father but by me, if he said, sanctify them through thy word, thy word is truth, and then he tells us in this passage, don't forsake truth, didn't he? So we're not to leave Jesus out of things. We're not to reject him, neglect him, desert him, or do anything of that nature, nor should we do that with the word of God. And so when he says let not mercy and truth forsake thee. In other words, don't abandon what you know to be true. And so whenever you have these truths, don't allow your heart to abandon these truths just because of man's philosophy or change in thinking or what have you. Go back to the Scriptures. Maintain that truth. And so at first glance, you can look over this and simply have an oversight in it, but he said don't forsake. So truth is what we are to be tied to consistently. And he says this, bind them about thy neck. He said, bind them about thy neck. He said, have them tied. So the idea is this. When he said, bind them about thy neck to to have them tied consistently, continually, always, and to hold on to them. So both mercy and truth are to be tied up or joined together as close as a collar around our neck. (laughs) As a collar around our neck. How close is that to me? It's touching me, isn't it? And it has that idea that that's what mercy and truth ought to be in our lives. And so it even goes a little bit further when you go into detail and you start looking at it. It has that idea that it's so close that it's in your throat. (laughs) And so the idea is is I have this thought that even those words in which I speak ought to demonstrate mercy. The words that come out of my mouth ought to demonstrate mercy and truth. The things that are in my throat. (laughs) I mean, it's so close to me that I do not let those things go. And so he has this idea of having it as a collar around your neck, available from the throat, perhaps meaning words to speak. And then I tie that back to what we are challenged with in Deuteronomy. If you go back in Deuteronomy and you look at chapter 6 of Deuteronomy, there's a great challenge in chapter 6, verses 6 through 9, especially for us fathers. And and one of the verses that is there in verse 8, he says this, and thou shalt bind them for a sign upon thine hand, and they shall be as frontlets between thine eyes. But if you read that from verse 6 to verse 9, it's that we're to teach this stuff diligently unto our children. And so what is it that they're teaching diligently? Well, you go back and you say, well, it is the Word of God. It's truth, isn't it? And so all that they're being challenged with is to maintain teaching that truth, to have it bind. And he says this. He said, uh, "...bind them about thine act, write them upon the table of thine heart." And the idea here is, is we're to make a mental recording. We're to make a mental recording. A mental recording, write them upon a table, a stone, a metal, or wood of thine heart. He said, write them upon that table. He said, take the word of God and make a mental recording of it. Now I want to tell you something. Nothing's so wonderful That's when you're having a difficult day or you're having a difficult time and maybe you don't have your Bible right in front of you or you don't have your cell phone with you and you can't access it, but God brings a verse to your remembrance. How wonderful is that at times? And you think about a mental recording and you think about having that truth inside of you, that you're able to draw upon that truth at that moment in time. What a wonderful thing that is. And so, God's saying with this mercy and with this truth, make a mental recording of these things. Hold on to these things. And so, the heart, when he speaks of that, and he says, do it uh, and, 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 and write them up on the table of thine heart, he's talking about the seat of thought and emotion. He's talking about the conscious mind keeping truth in front of us at all times. How often is truth in front of you? Think about maybe hours spent in front of your phone or your computer or your television, or some other electronic device, and even if you're in front of those, how much of that time would you say is really spent with truth in front of you? Now, when we speak of truth, what are we talking about? Sanctify them through thy word. Thy word is truth, isn't it? And so God tells us we ought to have truth in front of us often. I love it in my home. My wife has verses all over the house and so I can go around and she has them on the walls and uh, she has them on plaques and she has them all over the place and, and, and we have Bibles available to us and we have it in electronic form or whatever we want to do. But the fact is, is that we ought to have truth in front of us all the time. It's a good reminder, isn't it? And, and I remember a few years back in one of the local schools, and I believe it was out in the California area, they wanted to take the Ten Commandments out of the schools because they said the children may read those and obey them. Huh. That would be bad, wouldn't it? They may read those and do what they say. And I'm thinking, boy, wouldn't that be good? That they would actually do what it said. Thou shalt not lie. That'd be good, wouldn't it? Thou shalt not kill. Maybe things wouldn't happen the way they are today. Amen. Maybe they would have obeyed those things had they read them. And I'm telling you that it's so important for you as believers and you think, well, I'm saved already. You know, why should I read the Bible every day? Why should I have the Word of God in front of me all the time? Why shouldn't I have these truths in me? And God's telling us the very reason. And He's saying, listen, don't forsake mercy and truth. Mercy and truth is what God provides, isn't it not? And He provides it to us and then He wants us to demonstrate mercy to others and He wants us to keep truth tied to our heart. So sanctify them through thy word. Thy word is truth, he tells us. And then, I believe this, favor, favor with God comes by way of maintaining mercy and truth in our character of life as a Christian. And I believe God does that for us, and he shows us favor. Now we're going to talk about this favor. He said, let not mercy and truth forsake thee. Bind them about thy neck. Write them upon the table of thine heart. And here it is. So shalt thou find favor and good understanding in the sight of God and man. He told us if these two things are present in our life, if we don't reject them, neglect them, put them away, set them aside, abandon them, one of the things that God said that he does for us, if they're in the forefront of our lives, in the forefront of our minds, he promised us something here. And I believe this is a promise when I read it, because he said, so shall. Is that not true? If thou shalt call upon the name of the Lord, thou shalt be what? Say, Do we believe that? That's a promise from God. So when he said this, he said, when you keep mercy and truth in front of you, so shalt thou find favor and good understanding in the sight of God and man. I believe him. How about you? I believe that's what he gives us. I believe that's what he provides to us when we do this. So this idea of finding favor and good understanding, it starts with this subject matter of grace. Favor Is God's grace bestowed upon all those who walk in his mercy and truth? And apart from Christ, Jesus, this is not possible for us to do. We have to walk with Christ if we're going to walk in mercy and truth. We have to do so. So, God teaches us about the favor, the grace of God comes by way of a heart toward truth and others. Now, I'm going to give you some Psalms here. You don't have to uh, write all these down or turn to them all, but let me just give them to you. I'll read them to you. You can write the references down and look them up later. Let me give you a couple of psalms that I think is worth uh, thinking about when it comes to God's favor, God's grace. Psalm 2510. Psalm 2510. Psalm 61.7. And Psalm 86.15. Now, I I just want to pause here for just a minute because I want to challenge you in something, and I don't know where you are in your devotions or your studies, but I want to challenge you to do something. Go do a study on mercy in the Scriptures. Go do a study on the word mercy in the Scriptures. You'll be astounded at what you find. <laughs> You'll be astounded at what you find about God's mercy. So as I share that with you, here's just a few verses, and I, I, I just picked out a few that really stood out to me, and, and, and I'm sharing these with you tonight. Listen to this. All the paths of the Lord are mercy. Whoa. All The paths of the Lord are mercy. That's a pretty powerful statement, isn't it? And he tells you and me not to forsake what? Mercy, doesn't he? And he says, if you don't forsake mercy, guess what you find? You find favor with God. Now, you find favor in his sight. It means that it's pleasing to him whenever you're merciful. That's the idea behind it. So he says, all the paths of the Lord are mercy and truth unto such as keep his covenant and his testimonies. Uh Uh-oh. You mean there's a condition laid down? Yeah. Yeah, God does lay some conditions down for us as believers. And he says, this is provided to you, but here's what I'm asking of you, that you don't forsake my word and my covenants for the sake of your own ideas and your own worldly thoughts. And then he says this in 61.7, he said, He shall abide before God forever. Oh, prepare mercy and truth which may preserve him. Mercy and truth may preserve him. And then he said in Psalm 86, 15, But thou, o Lord, art a God full of compassion and gracious, long-suffering, and plenteous. Now listen to this, in mercy and truth. Now I want to challenge you to do this. Go do your own study on the subject matter of mercy in the scriptures, and you'll find how powerful this is. And so whenever he comes to this proverb and he tells us not to forsake these things, why? Because that's who our God is. He's a God of mercy. And he's a God of truth, and he demonstrates it from Genesis to Revelation. And he shows his mercy and his truth to us continually. And then he tells you and me as believers, guess what? Don't let go of these things, don't neglect them, because that's who he is. That's who God is. And so he challenges us to do this. He said in Proverbs 14:22 and in 16:6, 6, Do they not err that devise evil? But mercy and truth shall be to them that devise good. By mercy and truth, Iniquity is purged. By mercy and truth, iniquity is purged. What is iniquity? Sin, isn't it? So what is purged by mercy and truth? (laughs) Sin is purged by that. It's what is taken out of the way. And so God challenges us for that. So the favor of God brings good understanding. I like stuff like that, amen? How many of you have opened the scriptures, you've read a verse over and over again, and then all of a sudden you read it, and all of a sudden the light bulb goes off? And you're going, I get it. <laughs> I like when that happens. Now, I know you think I know everything in this book, right? From front to back. And that there's nothing that I don't understand. <laughs> Would you be wrong? And the thing of it is, is sometimes I open this book and I read it and I'm going, whew, man, I get it now. <laughs> and, and the thing of it is, is that how wonderful that is. Because that's God's mercy and his what? Truth being displayed to us. When that happens for you, that's God working in your life. And the favor of God brings good understanding. Not dumb understanding. Not stupid understanding. <laughs> it doesn't bring uh, uh, just these awful challenges in your life. It brings good understanding. Now, when I think of the word good, I think of the word good. He says it brings intelligence. Wow. I'm grateful for that. Amen? Now, he's talking about biblical intelligence. Not what the world thinks, but I believe it's biblical intelligence. He talks about the fact that it brings success, and I believe it's biblical success, just like we would find in Joshua. It has the idea that it brings discretion. How many, how many of you believe as you grow in age uh, and through the years and, and you draw closer to the Lord and you get closer to Scriptures, you have more discretion than you had years ago? Would you agree with that? And God demonstrates to us to have discretion, But see, that's God's good understanding, His favor being shown to us. It's that knowledge. When He's talking about that knowledge, it's that relationship, that prudence, that sense, and just flat-out wisdom. Amen? And if any of you lack wisdom, do what? Let Him ask of God. And you think about the Scriptures, how they tie together, and you say to yourself, what a wonderful God we have. So, when we uh, walk in mercy and truth, we find favor with God, and I believe that's that discretion and wisdom we need to walk in His ways. And, and as I go on in years, the more I desire to walk closer to God. When I pass away, you guys can take my Bible, you can see all the stuff I've written in there, that God, I want to do this, and I'm failing miserably. <laughs> I want to do this, but God, this is just, I'm terrible at this, and, and I need your help, Lord, and I'll let you read all the little notes I put to myself in my Bible when I die. You're like, man, I can't wait to get my hands on his stuff, right? (laughs) But the thing of it is, is I try to talk to God because his word speaks to us, doesn't it? And And I'm trying to work through it in my mind, and I'm trying to say, okay, God, I see what you say here, but how do you perform that? How do you do this? How do you make that happen? And God, I know I'm failing miserably here, but if I want wisdom, if I want good sense, if I want discretion, if I want knowledge, if I want wisdom, who should I ask? If I don't ask Him, who? It, not many folks are going to give you the wisdom that God has. And, and you can talk to others, but really your relationship with God ought to bring you that knowledge, that understanding. It ought to manifest itself in your life. So all of us can use a strong dose of good understanding. Would you agree with that? Especially my teenagers. Good night. I'd like to see them get a good dose of good understanding. Amen. By the way, Chris, I gave it to them when they were little. I gave them a good dose of good understanding every once in a while. But, but the thing of it is, is that as they go on in years, you want them to think about decisions that they're making, choices that they're making in their lives. Are they in line with God? Are they in line with truth? Are they, are they making decisions based upon principles that they've been taught according to the Scriptures? Are they, are they really taking God's Word and putting it into effect? And then you have to say to yourself, well, what about me? How many times do I not do it? Now, God really differentiates between earthly wisdom and heavenly wisdom. And so the first one... Let me see if I can get there, right? Earthly wisdom. In James 3, 13 through 15, I love this set of verses. Did you ever read it and you're going, yeah, God's putting us on the spot, right? So he says, who is a wise man? "...and endued with knowledge." Who's wise? Who thinks they're smart? And he says, "...and who is a wise man and endued with knowledge among you?" So it's a question. It's rhetorical, isn't it? It's a question we have to ask ourselves. (laughs) Do you think you're smart? Do you think you're wise? Now listen to this. Let him show out of a good conversation his works with meekness of wisdom. Out of a good lifestyle, you show that. You demonstrate that. You show wisdom by how you live your life. You show wisdom in, in a meek kind of a spirit... And so he says, you show out wisdom. Now listen to this. But if ye have bitter envying and strife in your hearts, glory not and lie not against the truth. He said, this wisdom descendeth not from above, but is earthly, sensual, devilish. So he told us that, that kind of knowledge or that wisdom uh, that brings forth bitterness and strife in our hearts. And he said, man, that, that stuff right there, that's not from God. That is not from our Heavenly Father. That is earthly wisdom. It's sensual. It's devilish. And then he talks about a different kind of wisdom as well. He talks about a heavenly wisdom. In James 3 17 and 18, I love this because he said, But the wisdom that is from above, there's some characteristics from, from wisdom from above. Just like there's characteristics of earthly wisdom, there's characteristics of heavenly wisdom. So, what are those characteristics of heavenly wisdom? Well, heavenly wisdom is this idea. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure. If you think about heavenly wisdom, there's, there's nothing cloudy about it. it you know, you, you, you think about something that's impure or has impurities in it, it's not something you want to put in you. I got in the refrigerator the other day and she had bought some fresh tomatoes and there was another tomato in there that decided it was going to buddy up with one of the other tomatoes that was in there. And the one tomato laying against the other tomato... Did the good tomato make the bad tomato good? No. What started to happen? The bad tomato got on the good tomato and it started to tear it up, didn't it? Now I had to take the good tomato and cut a good portion of it out so that I could eat it because the bad tomato had gotten to it. And I'm thinking about earthly wisdom. When we try to tie God's wisdom with earthly wisdom, it doesn't work. You can't mix those two you're either consulting your Heavenly Father or you're counting on your earthly wisdom. When you try to mix those two, one's rotten. It's sensual. It's devilish, isn't it? And the other is pure. It's good. <laughs> and so when you're trying to match those two up, they don't work together. And generally, even as believers, this is what we do. And he said, but the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then it's this, it's peaceable. When you think about something that's peaceable, what's in your mind? It's a calmness, isn't it? It's it's something that's not overwhelming me. And that not only is it peaceable, but it's gentle and easy to be entreated. Now listen to this. Full of mercy. Full of mercy. The wisdom that cometh from above is full of what? Mercy. You ought to do a study on mercy in your scriptures. And find out how many times God speaks about his mercy and his truth. And when you look at this, he says, mercy and good fruits. Now listen, it's without partiality, without hypocrisy. What did Jesus say to the scribes and Pharisees? Ye, what? Hypocrites. That's what he called them, didn't he? And he said, you're a bunch of actors and actresses. But listen, when you get wisdom from God, (laughs) he's not putting on a show. He's not an actor, he's not an actress. He is giving you the straightforward stuff it's pure, it's peaceable. And God gives that to us. And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that make peace. So the sight, the idea, that word that he has there, that it's pleasing. The sight is to be found pleasing or good in one of the eyes. And in this case, it's of God and man. For the principle of God's favor to be found in our life, it starts with mercy and truth. And those characteristics ought to be found in us. We ought to have those as a part of us because that's who our God is. And not by what we think, but what what God sees in us. So you want God to see mercy and truth in you. You want God to see that in you. And so you say, well, how do I do that? Well, I just challenge you tonight, do a study on mercy. Just go through and do a study on mercy. You can do another study just on truth itself, but just do a study on mercy and look at what God has to say about it. So when you think about this, for the principle of God's favor to be found in our life, it starts with mercy and truth. So this type of behavior is pleasing in the eyes of God, and it causes His grace to be placed upon us in a greater way. And you say, can you get more grace? Yeah, I believe you can. You say, didn't you get all you were going to get when you got saved? I don't believe that at all. I think God can show me more grace. Can I show you a verse that says that? Yes, I can. And God says, if I'm a humble man, He'll show me more grace, won't He? And he tells me this over in James chapter 4, and in verse 6 he says, but he giveth more grace. More means what? More, doesn't it? And you look at that and you say, how many of you go in the store and you go, they say they give you 40% more of the laundry detergent, and you're looking at it, I'm, I'm I'm sliding one up against the other, I'm saying how much bigger is that than that? Or did they just put a little more in the container? <laughs> Do you ever see those labels that says 40% more, Or uh, you know, all that kind of, and, and the thing of it is, God says, "But He giveth more grace." Now listen, wherefore He saith, "God resisteth the proud," doesn't He? So if I want God's grace in my life, I'm not going to be a prideful person. But He giveth grace unto the humble. Now, here's the last one on this: God's favor comes by way of mercy and truth, and a heart of humility receives more grace. Receives more grace.